Hello all, welcome or welcome back to And Everything In Between. I'm your host, Mela. So a little recap, what's been going on recently? Um, I actually had something exciting happen. So my school has a literary magazine. Well, it's a literary magazine full of students' writings, like you can submit them, and it also has people's art pieces that they've submitted. So it's really cool. And I submitted a story. I think I told you guys, I don't know which episode I told you, but I submitted a story a while back to be featured in the magazine. And it's featured in the magazine, which is so cool to see like my story there. And my friend has a couple stories also in the magazine. So it's really cool. But I was so excited when I saw, even though everyone's story or artwork pretty much got, or essay pretty much got accepted to the magazine, but I was still really excited to see my name there and my story. So that's pretty exciting. Um, Harry's House, Harry Styles' new album is out now. Okay, I know I literally said in my last episode, my music taste, I was talking about how Harry Styles, I like him, but... I'm not like obsessed with him, but I think he's I think he's okay. Harry's house has changed my perspective on that. I mean, this album is a complete masterpiece. I am so obsessed with everything about Harry's house and I'm going to tell you my favorite songs from that album right now. I think my favorite song is definitely Music for a Sushi Restaurant. Because it gives me, I've said this to like everyone that I've talked to about this album, but it gives me intro to a really amazing circus act vibes. So music for a sushi restaurant, love that. Late night talking, I love that. Some people don't like grape juice, that's my number three. It's like the first three songs in the album are like my first three picks. And then... The next ones I like, Daylight, I like Daydreaming, Love of My Life, those ones aren't in order, and Satellite. Matilda quite literally broke me. I was listening to it and I was like, wow, these these lyrics, they are, they're something. So if you listen to Matilda, just be prepared to cry. But yeah, this album was literally amazing. Um, I talked to you guys about my playlists and I added... I think I have my playlist up right now. I added seven or not, is it seven? Yeah, seven of the songs from the album to my playlist, not including as it was. So I guess eight total to my fave songs at the moment playlist. So, I mean, this album, amazing. I'm obsessed and I won't take any criticism because it is so good. But school is over. In a week, by the time I make the next my next podcast episode in two weeks, school will be over, which is going to be crazy because then I'm halfway through high school. And it literally feels so surreal because I feel like, well, I feel like just because of COVID, I didn't even have a freshman year. Like it went by so slow yet so quickly at the same time. I honestly, <laughs> freshman year was a mess. Sophomore year was great. I literally loved the school year so much. I feel like I made a lot of good friends and my classes were really good. I liked the people in my classes. I would say this school year was really good. So I'm really sad that it's over, especially because I talked to you guys in my friendship episode. I love my lunch table. I love my friends at my lunch table and we have so much fun every lunch almost too much fun like the point where it's like why are why are we laughing so much at school like what can be so funny and it's almost always something so minor that we just start laughing over but I am gonna miss my lunch table and yesterday I know this is like no one cares but I just I don't know I just want to talk about it yesterday I went to the mall for like the first time in months and I got some new clothes, which I'm really excited about because I feel I feel like I don't have that many clothes over the summertime. Like I literally just wear the same outfits. I got this shirt um, like a month ago that I've been wearing literally once a week. I'll wear it at school and then on the weekend. Like it's my favorite shirt right now. But that's just, but 
that's just been what's going on recently. Now to dive into today's episode, um, I did my A Collection of Thoughts part one episode and I really like that because when I start to have a lot of small things building up that I want to talk about, I just, I can't focus on creating episodes that have a lot of like a giant topic in it because I have all these other things I'm like, oh, I'm dying to talk about. So this is going to be a collection of thoughts part two. It's my second episode. And basically, if you haven't watched the first one or you don't know what they're all about, basically, I'm just going to be talking about different ideas that I don't have enough to make a whole episode about, but I still really like to talk about. And these are literally random things. Like one of the things I'm going to be talking about, the value in learning another language, um, why therapy should be normalized, the trolley ethical experiment, does money buy happiness, and why are textbooks still a thing? Those are some of the topics I'm going to be going over if you want a brief overview. So it's just random things. So I'm honestly just going to dive in right now. The first thing, as I mentioned, I'm going to be talking about the value in learning another language. And I kind of touched on this in another episode or a variety of episodes, but I truly think that learning another language is so crucial. And not only is it important because not only is it important just to, because learning another language helps you understand different cultures and different parts of the world, but also it just makes you a more well-rounded, more educated person. And I'm honestly so jealous of people that are bilingual. Like I'm not exaggerating right now. If I ever have kids, the first thing I'm doing is when they're like I don't know what however old like 3 or 4 years old I'm putting them in a language school to learn another language because I just think it's so important to be at least aware of another language know some of it you don't have to be bilingual because obviously learning another language does take time but just knowing a little bit can take you a long way so as I've mentioned in my previous episodes I take German in school and I'm not going to lie At first, I wanted to take French, like, okay, I took German because I I don't know why. I was on Duolingo, like, learning German. I was like, wow, this is so cool. I want to take this in school. So that's, oh my god, that literally rhymed, rhymed, but whatever. So that's how I started taking German in school. But I then started to want to learn French because, okay, this is going to sound so stupid and you're probably gonna be like, oh my god, this girl, but I wanted to learn French because it just, it sounds so romantic, like, it just sounds, I don't know, French is a very pretty language to the mouth, and that's so dumb for a reason for wanting to learn a language, but that's, I wanted to learn French because I just liked the way it sounded, but now I've grown to appreciate German, and I like I like speaking in German at least and learning about it, even though it can be frustrating when I don't have the right word for something or I what I'm saying doesn't make sense or I'm like, I have a thought, but I'm like, I have, I don't know how to say this. But yeah, I've grown to like German a lot and I've mentioned this again multiple times. I want to be at least 70% fluent. I, while it would be great to be bilingual in German, If that doesn't happen because I did start learning it in eighth grade and I think to learn a language you've got to start young because that's when you're learning like your primary language so for me English in school and you're learning those grammar things so you're learning the grammar things of your primary your primary language alongside that secondary language at the same time so it's a little easier I feel like and also you know you're just younger your brain is growing I don't know for whatever reason, learning a language when you're younger is much easier. But now, I recognize that it's harder to become bilingual. So even if I'm just 70% fluent, if I can just go to Germany and I can speak German or I can go to Austria and speak German, that is enough for me. And I actually want to study abroad in college. I literally... 
I, I don't know. I've just grown to really love speaking another language. So I want to study abroad in college and at least minor in German. And again, just gain that knowledge. So just some things why learning another language is so cool. I've kind of touched upon it, but it, it is cool to know another language. I mean, just being able to speak something else, that's cool. It's cool. And I love when you can have conversations with other people in that language. And I'm not even just talking about within school where you might be learning that language. Like, yes, I enjoy, you know, maybe having a conversation in German with my friend who's also in German or my teacher. But for me, what made German really worth it to learn was when I could speak it with other people in public. And I have two times that this has happened. And, you know, obviously, I feel like the most popular language in the United States, the secondary language is, or not secondary language, you know, secondary to English, I meant, is probably Spanish. You know, you can speak Spanish. A lot of people speak Spanish. So German isn't as common on everyday life, but I have been able, I have met someone who has spoken German twice. So I want to tell those stories. Okay, first I met this guy in New York City when I went there. And I think I told this story already, but I think I did tell the story. Did I? I don't know. But if I did, you're hearing it for a second time. So I met this guy in New York City and we were basically going on the ferry to see the Statue of Liberty and all that stuff. And we're on the ferry and this guy, he's a local, he's lived there for a long time. And I think he said he used, his name is Kurt. That's like the American pronunciation. In German, I think it's like, it has an umlaut, I'm pretty sure, and it's Kurt, Kurt, I don't know, don't, don't make fun of me for my pronunciation, but it's Kurt, or however you pronounce it, I'll just say Kurt for these purposes, but Kurt, basically, um, he grew up in Germany, he's primarily German, like he speaks German, that's his main language, but he also speaks English, so he's bilingual, and I think he said he was either a part of the UN for Germany or some government thing. But now he just lives in New York City. And so he was on the ferry and he was telling us, you know, this is how you go get off the ferry and onto the return one. And this is like where you should stand to get the best view. You know, he was giving us all these little insider New York City secrets. And so he actually started talking with my dad and then he was like, just, he just stayed with us for the rest of our ferry visit and we were just, my family was talking with him and stuff and it was, he got about to saying to my dad how he had, I don't know if it was with the UN again, but something, he was a part something German government representative and my dad was like, oh, you know, Mela takes German in school. And obviously, I just started, this was at the beginning of the school year, so I wasn't as proficient, I'm not proficient yet, but like, I wasn't as developed in German as I am now, like, what, however many months, seven, eight months later, but he was like, oh, he was like, sprechst du Deutsch, which is like, do you speak German? And I was like, oh, yeah, like, it was, don't, again, don't make fun of my pronunciation or my accent, but... I was like, oh, oh my God, like this is so cool. And I literally, I cannot describe that feeling, but it was just so cool being able to speak German with someone who wasn't a part of school, who was literally like in public speaking German. And so obviously I was a little nervous, so I kind of forgot some stuff, but I was like, I speak a little German in school, which is ich spreche ein bisschen Deutsch im Schule and... I, what else did I say? He asked how old I was, and I was like, I've been prepping for this, I've been prepping for this. So I was like, well, ich bin 15 Jahre alt, which means I'm 15 years old. And again, my pronunciation, don't make fun of it. And he, it was funny because he was telling my dad where something that we were going to was, or something, I don't know. And he said 53rd Street, but he started to say 53rd Street in German. So he was like, dry on 53rd like he corrected himself and it was just really cool and he would say things to me and you know obviously I was a little nervous so I kind of was freezing up a little bit when he was saying stuff and 
you know, <laughs> some stuff he said, I was like, I kind of know what he's saying. I kind of don't know. So I kind of had to be vague in my responses. But just getting to talk with him and using German in everyday life was so incredible. And I honestly will never forget that the first time. And then the second time, I don't think I've told this story. The second time there was this woman... I went, when I went to Florida over spring break, this was more recently, I went to Florida over spring break and this woman at the farmer's market was selling pretzels, like handmade pretzels and bread and stuff like that. And she had, she kind of had an accent and it sounded like a German accent. So I was like, you know what, maybe this woman is German, especially because the sign behind her was in German. It was in German and in English. So I was like, this woman is probably German. And so I asked her, I was like, oh, are you German? Or like, do you come from Germany? And she was like, yeah. And she was like, do you speak German? And I was like, oh, like I speak a little bit. And again, that whole conversation I had with Kurt in New York City. And she was basically saying how, you know, she said this in German, so I'm not completely sure if this was what she said, but she was saying, you know, learning a language, it takes a long time and she's forgotten some of German, like she wishes she could speak it better because she's forgotten some of it and her mother was fluent in it, but she isn't now or she's forgotten a lot, something along those lines. And it was more of me listening to her speak, but again, just having that conversation and listening to German in everyday life was so cool. That's never, I mean, besides Kurt in New York City and before that, that's never happened to me. And I was like, wow, like I actually can understand at least a little bit of what she's saying. And that's one step closer to where I want to be, which is amazing. And like I said, just knowing another language is so beneficial, whether you're at school or you're at work or in your, or you're in public, being able to communicate with others and cross that language barrier is so worthwhile and it makes learning the language worthwhile. And also, I don't, I want to touch on this a little bit. Languages make you think a different way about words and prefixes and suffixes. And the best way that I can describe this is it's kind of like a logic puzzle in your mind. And so you see the words in front of you, and I don't know about in other languages, but in German at least, there's like a very strict sentence structure in terms of the verb. So a lot of the times, like most times, except for questions and stuff, the verb has to go second. It has to be the second word in the sentence or if you are saying kind of a phrase I don't know how to describe it but if you're saying a phrase once that phrase is over the verb still has to go second so the word order is obviously very important and it has to be very specific and then there's also certain words such as um there's a word called vile which means because das which means that, like, but it's part of another sentence. There are two words for that, at least that I know of. Um, als, wenn, I think wenn is a verb kicker, I kind of forget. Obvul, um, those are the words I can think of off the top of my head. There's definitely a lot more, but those words kick the verb to the end. And so, when you're speaking, especially, you have to kind of rearrange the words in your mind. And it's, for me at least, I see the words in my mind, like, I see like little blocks and it's like each word I want to say. And I have to arrange the verb, like kick it to the end. And so I kind of put it to the end in my mind. And it just, it makes you think very differently. And it makes you just, I feel like more intelligent overall, a more intelligent thinker. And it is really important. And languages, they have a lot of words. So they have, or not, what am I saying? They have a lot of rules. And it's kind of like in a logic puzzle, you have these rules off to the side and then you have to figure out like what what's going on according to the rules. So it's kind of how German is at least. You have to mix up the words in your head to create a thought or a sentence. And 
I'll give an example. Okay, if I wanted to say, um, I like to eat ice cream because it is good. I see the words in my head. I have four words for that first part of the sentence. I like to eat ice cream. In German, there are four words. So, ich means I. Esse means to eat. Ice is ice cream. And gern is to like something or to favor something. So, I kind of put them in order already. But the verb, esse, has to go second. So, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, let me put esse in the second word of the sentence. So, then when I kind of arrange things, I'm like, okay, I know gern has to go to the end of the sentence. So, an ich always has to be next to the verb. The subject and the verb always have to be next to each other unless the verb goes to the end. So, I would say, ich esse Eis gern. And I'm like, okay, now I'm done. But then I have to do the second part of the sentence. And if my second part of the sentence is because it is yummy or tasty, weil means because, and weil is a verb kicker. And so if my verb is ist or is, I know that is has to go to the end of the sentence. So I'm thinking, here are the words I need. S, I need weil, I need s, I need ist, I need lecker, because lecker means yummy or tasty, s means it, ist means I'm, ist means is. I'm getting so confused when I'm saying it out loud. Vile means because. So I'm rearranging the words and I know that ist is my verb. I'm kicking it to the very end. So I know vile es lecker ist. So then I have my two parts of my sentence in my head all ready to go. Now I'm going to mash it together. Ich esse Eis gern, weil es lecker ist. And now I have a whole sentence that I can say out loud. And obviously, this is a really basic sentence, so it's easier for me to say, and I can say it more quickly and without much thinking. But more complex sentences, um, more complex sentences are a bit trickier to say. And it's actually pretty cool because I can see like which countries um, people listen to my podcast in, and Germany is like my second the second country, obviously the United, United States is first and Germany is second, which is pretty cool. So if anyone from Germany is listening to this, if anyone from Germany is listening to this and you hear me speaking German, just, that's pretty cool just to think about. I'm like smiling, thinking about it. Um, what's something else I can say in German? I actually like to talk in German. Um, what else should I say? Um, I can say when I, when I, oh, I could say when I wake up late, um, when I wake up late, I am, hmm, I'm trying to think of something I could say. When I wake up late, I am hungry. I don't know. I'll just say that. Okay. Let me think. Als als ich als ich auf wache bin or no als ich auf wache habe ich hunger i don't know if that was right maybe that doesn't make sense maybe it sounds like someone speaking broken english where they're like i go park or something like that i go to park but at least i could try to get the the thought out also, I'm pretty sure aufwachen is to wake up, but if it's not, then I don't know what I just said, so just ignore that. But yeah, I really like speaking in German. It's actually pretty cool. Okay. Oh, and I have one more thing to say about the subject of languages. Trying to describe something that you don't know the word for is so, it's like so frustrating because you know what you want to say. You have everything except one word that would bring it all together. So you kind of have to dance around the word. You have to describe it. You don't know what it is, but you have to use a bunch of extra words to just describe one word. But it does make you a better thinker because again, you're kind of using logic and complex thinking to form a thought or sentence. So it is, it's really cool. Okay, 
My next thing I want to talk about is why therapy should be normalized. And I actually feel really passionately about this issue because I feel like there is a stigma around therapy, a negative stigma, that it's only for people with mental health issues or people who have suffered severe trauma or just people that have had a rough life. And I feel like that's not true at all because sometimes therapy is just a small thing that you want to improve in your life. Maybe you want to work on perfectionism or maybe you have these small anxieties over certain things that you want to try to lessen. Or maybe you don't get enough sleep at night and you're super tired all the time and you want to improve that. Those aren't life-threatening issues or severe, tra- severely traumatic issues. Those are small things that you just need guidance on. And everyone has these issues in life. And just keeping everything bottled up inside makes it worse. And I think therapy is so good because sometimes you just need this outside unbiased advice or someone to rant to who won't judge you. And I feel like people are sometimes afraid to admit that they need guidance or they're afraid to admit that they don't really have someone to turn to or maybe the people in their life, they don't think that the advice from them is going to be unbiased and they just, they need to know what to do from someone who isn't directly involved with them. And just... First of all, accepting that maybe you need some help or you need some guidance is a step in the right direction. And honestly, therapy is healthy. You need to talk about your issues. You cannot keep everything bottled up inside. You keep it bottled up inside and then you reach this breaking point and it's like everything just explodes. It's like shaking a soda can repeatedly, repeatedly until it just bursts open and all the soda goes everywhere. Whereas if you didn't shake it or you shook it and then you let it sit, then it wouldn't end up exploding. You know, things are going to happen in your life. Things aren't going to go your way. Life is going to get tough. But having someone there to stop you from exploding, to stop that soda bottle from exploding everywhere, that's a step in the right direction. And that's important. And I feel like We need to drop this negative stigma around therapy that, oh, it's only for people who are very depressed or it's only for people with some mood disorder. It's not. Therapy is for everyone and everyone is a human being with emotions that need to be released and need to be discussed. And no matter your age, no matter your gender, no matter your sexuality, everyone goes through issues in life and everyone needs to talk about it. So I think that's why therapy really needs to be normalized. And I had this teacher and I I kind of have a story about this teacher. So this teacher one time, he came into school and I, I have a feeling something something happened to him. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know how bad it was, but something happened to this teacher and he came into school. He was pretty shaken up. And he just started saying, he started saying, you know what, guys, everyone, everyone goes through stuff in their lives and you need, this is like almost verbatim what he said. You can't let your crap simmer. You need to share that with someone and don't be afraid to go share that with someone. And he basically was saying how, you know, everyone goes through these events in their lives. Everyone has I think he said everyone has crap they need to deal with and don't be afraid to go to therapy. And he was just saying how therapy is a good thing and stuff like that. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, I had never seen this teacher like this before. I'd never seen a teacher like that in general before because I feel like teachers tend to put on a happy face. Even when something's going on in their life, they tend to put on a happy face, keep teaching, which is, again, why teachers are so incredibly important and valuable, not valuable, valued, I guess. But he kind of let that happy face down and he showed us that he was a person 
and he goes through stuff that everyone else goes through and just being vulnerable with students and saying, you know what, giving them actual good advice that is important throughout our lives. I, that really stuck with me. I mean, I remember this day, like, I just remember it very well. I just remember him coming into school and I was like, oh my God, he wasn't his usual self. And I was like, wow, he was like distraught. And it was like, wow, teachers are, teachers are people too. They're not, they're not robots. They're not teaching robots that have no feelings. Teachers are people too. And that kind of stuck with me. Everyone is a person. Everyone has feelings that need to be dealt with and not dealt with. They need to be talked about and discussed and maybe improved upon. So I know I'm just, actually, I'm not going to say I know I'm just a kid because I don't want to, I don't want to down I don't want to diminish myself and diminish what I'm saying and kind of make what I'm saying less important or less meaningful. But I truly think that if you need therapy, if you need help, if you need someone to talk to, then go to therapy. I I feel like that it's a really important thing that, and you know, I'm a pretty big advocate for mental health and talking about mental health, discussing mental health. So I do think it's extremely important that people stop making therapy out to be this huge thing that only people with mental health issues go to. Everyone might need therapy at some point in their lives, and we need to abolish this kind of negative stigma surrounding that. That's my take on therapy. I I think it should be normalized. I think everyone needs therapy. That's just my take on that. The next thing I want to talk about, this is a, this next thing is something I really enjoy talking about. I actually did a project on this in like seventh grade and a presentation and the class that I presented it to really enjoyed it and they like to talk about it. So I've been this kind of ethical, weird person from the start. I've been this way for a while and this this scenario that I'm about to talk to you guys about, this is, it regards ethics, morals. What are your morals? How far are you willing to go to do something to save a person? Okay, and that is the trolley ethical experiment or trolley ethical dilemma. The trolley ethical dilemma, basically a brief rundown is Oh, also, this was on The Good Place. If you've ever watched The Good Place, it's a really good show. Up until, like, season four. I did not like season four. But seasons one, two, one through three were pretty good. If you've ever watched The Good Place, then you know Chidi, who is one of the characters. He um, has researched the trolley... Eth- or he doesn't research the trolley ethical experiment. He is put in this trolley ethical experiment because he's very indecisive and as a way to cope with his indecisiveness, he goes through kind of a simulation of this experiment. And that's like one of my favorite scenes throughout the whole show. So I would recommend watching it. But anyways, basically the a brief overview of the trolley ethical experiment, ethical dilemma. You're on a trolley, which is kind of like a train or train wagon. So you're on a trolley and you're on this track. The track you are set to go on, meaning you don't have to do anything, you're going to go on that track anyways, has five people strapped to the railroad. So you will kill those five people. You will run over those five people strapped to the railroad. However, you have the option to divert the trolley, to pull a lever, and it will change its path. You can manually change the trolley's path to kill one person on the other side of the railroad who would have survived normally. What would you do? And this is obviously an ethical experiment. Would you keep going and kill the five people in the trolley's path, or would you divert the trolley to kill that one person? So I want to talk about the two different options. If you were to kill... Oh, first of all, think of your answer in your mind before I say anything else. What would you do? Okay, I think, I'm thinking right now, I think that 
I would, I think, uh, I think I would, I, I would kill the five people. I would kill the five people. And let me tell you why. I'm going to go through each option. You kill, let's say you decide to kill the five people. Kind of the pros and cons of this. If you kill the five people, you can say to yourself, well, the trolley was going to kill them anyways. The trolley was already on that path. They were going to die. I just didn't do anything to stop it. But when you say, oh, I didn't do anything to stop it, you think to yourself, I could have prevented five people's deaths. And I could have made the option to pull the lever and save those five people. And by knowing that, knowing that you had the option to save them and you didn't, that kind of puts you in this ethical, moral dilemma. But on the other side, you have this one person. The one person was going to survive. If you chose to kill that one person, you pulled the lever, changed the course of the trolley, and changed the fate of this one person. This one person would have survived if it were not for you. However, there's this whole idea of one versus five people, and it makes sense, you know, kill the one person rather than the five people, because then you'd be saving five people instead of only saving one person. However, what's morally wrong with that is you had this lever to the trolley, right? And you chose to kill someone who would have survived by pulling that lever. And that's where this whole moral dilemma comes in. But if you had those five people and you kept it in their path, you could say, you know what, I'm not going to change the fate of this one person. They were going to survive. I'm not going to, I'm not going to change that. However, then you can say, well, I, I killed five people instead of one, and I, I could have saved those five people. Yeah, but if you saved those five people, you would have purposefully chosen to kill that one person who would have normally survived. So there are moral dilemmas on both sides of the scenario. There's positives and good things about, not good things, good things about killing people with the trolley. There's positive outcomes or positive traits to each side that you chose to do. Personally, my reasoning for killing the five people is I don't think I would be able to live with myself knowing that I killed one person who would have survived if, if not for me. And, you know, even though I've killed five people, I feel like just the guilt of choosing to kill one person versus letting the trolley kill five people that were going to die anyways, that would be too strong. That would be too strong. Okay, next up, we have a couple different versions of this trolley ethical dilemma. So let's say instead of five people versus one person, that's kind of the basic dilemma. I have a couple more scenarios I want to talk about. Let's say on one side of the track is a baby. One baby. And on the other side of the track is five elderly people. You are right now on track to kill the five elderly people. Would you kill the five elderly people or would you divert the track to kill the baby? Again, if you choose to divert the track to kill the baby, the baby would have survived. You changed their fate. That's kind of what we talked about in the last scenario. However, the baby is also young and it has its whole life ahead of them. Whereas the five elderly people, you might argue, well, they, they were going to die anyways. So if I kill the five elderly people and I save the baby, I've saved someone's life who has a long life ahead of them. And the five elderly people are, they don't have a lot as much time to live ahead of them. I shouldn't say they're going to die anyways. That's really morbid. They don't have as much time ahead of them as a newborn baby. However, the five elderly people, you can say, don't they deserve to die in peace eventually? You know, they've lived such a long life. Why are you cutting it off so short and 
not letting them have a peaceful death. So that's kind of a, a negative to killing those five and saving the newborn. However, if you killed the newborn, you could say, well, oh, that's, that's a wasted life, you know, and they, they had their whole life ahead of them. So it becomes this, like, which, which one is the lesser of two evils to you? And that's kind of the whole thing about the trolley ethical experiment. This next one, oh, first of all, sorry, I forgot to ask you guys, which one would you do? I think I, also, again, you're diverting the track to kill the baby, so it's like they weren't going to die. But I think I would, uh, I don't, this is so hard. I would, I think I would, I think I would divert it to kill the baby. I think I would kill the baby because not only are there five elderly people, but they do deserve to die in peace. And the baby is young, so they probably, you know, they, they were so young that they wouldn't remember it, I guess. Well, they wouldn't remember it, they're dead. But I don't know, that one's a really difficult one for me. This next one, though, all of my indecisive people, this is this is going to get you. Okay, you're on the track. You are going to kill. You are going to kill a family member. That is the track you're on. One family member, you're going to kill them. Or you can divert you can divert the trolley to kill five strangers on the other side who would have survived. Which one do you choose? This one is like messing with my head because if you're going to kill a family member, you don't know who those five strangers are. They could be criminals or they could be doctors, teachers, lawyers. They could be filthy rich people who are horrible to their workers or they could be like Mother Teresa's. They could be philanthropists. You don't know who these five strangers are. They could be a mother. They could be a father. They could be a sister, a brother, a sibling. Again, you don't know who these people are. But if you kill that family member who you were on track to kill, then you're kind of you're kind of accepting their death. Like you you didn't really do anything to avoid their death. But the same could be argued for the five strangers. You chose to kill them. You didn't have to do that. They could have survived, but you chose to kill them. So, again, this is one that it requires a lot of thinking and there really isn't one good option. It's just the lesser of two evils. Personally, I would kill five strangers because if it's a family member, you have that personal connection and you would feel more guilty. But again, five is greater than one. You don't know. These people could be amazing people. They have their own families. Either one is not a good outcome. And I think that's why I really like the trolley ethical dilemma because it it really is a dilemma. It makes you think there is no good option. And I, I don't know. I really like this this dilemma. I like to talk about it. I've been wanting to talk about it for a while. So that's good. My next topic that I want to talk about is I want to talk about does money really buy happiness? And this is an interesting one. Does money buy happiness? I think most people would say, yes, money buys happiness. And I've always thought, yes, money does buy happiness because money can buy you everything you need. Maybe you're unhappy because you can't pay your rent or you're unhappy because you don't have enough food or water or you can't pay these utility bills. So money can buy that and that can make you happier. So if you're unhappy in that sense, I would say money does buy happiness. However, let's say you have a good place to live, you have enough food and water, you have your basic necessities, but you just, you don't work in a job that you really like and maybe you don't you don't have a relationship or you don't have very many friends, a good relationship with your family, whatever. 
So if we're thinking about it that way, would money really buy happiness? And I think it just depends this whole does money buy happiness scenario. I think that depends on what happiness means for you. Does happiness mean material items? You would be happy if you had all of the expensive clothes and shoes and a nice house. Does that make you happy? And I think a lot of people would say, yes, that makes me happy. And it's, you know, it's not shallow to say that, you know, material items, those are nice things. Everyone wants to have a nice house and live in a nice area and be able to go on vacations four times a year or however many times. But money does not buy relationships and money doesn't buy you a good job that you love. Money doesn't buy you passions and money, if that's what happiness is to you, if happiness is relationships or a good job, money can't buy that. So it does depend what makes you happy. And I have another interesting point to bring up about this topic. I've been thinking about money buy, does money buy happiness? And you hear about all these celebrities who are depressed or maybe committed suicide or tried to or they have mental health issues. And you think, how could a celebrity who has money, they have fame, they have rich friends, they don't have to work another day in their lives, they get to do stuff they love, maybe they're a model or they're an actress or they're a singer or an inspirational speaker whoever these people are, you're like, why are they depressed? They, they're rich. They can buy whatever they want. Well, if they can buy whatever they want, they have access to material items. They have a nice house. They have vacations. Yet they're still depressed. They still have mental health issues. So that makes me think money doesn't buy happiness. When you think about these real world scenarios, and it can be argued on both sides, I think, depending on, again, what, what do you consider happy? That might fluctuate your, your stance on this. But I also have a new perspective, another perspective. I listened to the psychology podcast a while back, and they were talking about does money buy happiness? And here's what they said. They said that an increase in people's salary, so gaining more money, basically, it only gave them a level of happiness, a increased level of happiness for about two months after that increase in salary. And then they returned to what they call, I think it is, if I'm remembering correctly, what they call an equilibrium, where that's their normal happiness levels. So the increase in people's salary, it raised that happiness above that equilibrium, their normal happiness for only two months. And then it dropped back down as they adjusted to having this amount of money in their lives. So kind of to rephrase that, as people got more money, they adjusted to having greater amounts of money. The reason they were so happy for two months is because they weren't used to having these extra X thousands of dollars per year. But now that they've adjusted, their lifestyle has adjusted, they return back to their normal happiness levels. And that was really interesting to me because I feel like most people would say, yes, money does buy happiness. But when you think about it that way and you think about research studies that have been done on people's happiness and how an increase in people's salary only lasts a couple months of euphoria or happier feelings... It does make you think, why why can't money buy happiness? Because we would think it does, but I guess in some cases, it, it really doesn't. And again, like I mentioned, it can buy you a nice house in an area you love, financial stability, so you have less worrying. But money, no amount of money in the world can cure your mental health issues. Maybe you have OCD, anxiety, depression, and you think material well, material items can fix these mental health issues. Maybe they will lessen them 
for a short amount of time, but they're kind of always there in the corner lurking. And I, I truly don't think money can really, really buy happiness. I think it can make you, I think it can make your quality of life better because you have a better house or you live in a better area. And so maybe that makes your day to day to day life quality better. But I, I don't think it can truly make you happy because I think for me, at least happiness, while it is having a nice home in an area of love with a nice job, it also is having relationships with other people and money doesn't buy that. And I know that's so cliche, like money doesn't buy, money doesn't buy a partner, money doesn't buy a best friend, but it really doesn't buy that. That's something that even the poorest of people, they might have that and the rich don't. So it's very interesting to talk about. And I it does depend on what your level of happiness is. But I thought it was really interesting that psychology podcast, how they said that the increase in salary only gave people a few months of happier feelings and then they returned back to their normal happiness levels as they adjusted to having more money. That was interesting. Now, of course, do I think if you're a billionaire, if you are um, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or whatever his name is, yes, you're probably going to be happier because you can literally afford anything you want. But if we're talking increase in your salary, I I don't know. It, it is, it's hard to say because those research studies kind of contradict what a lot of people would normally think. But I don't know. It's it's really interesting to talk about though. Okay, the next thing I'm just going to gloss over because I'm really really thirsty, my mouth is dry and I don't I'm getting like a little fidgety. But the le- next thing I told you guys I was going to talk about this so I will anyways. I wanted to talk about why are textbooks still a thing? Personally, I believe I can't learn from a textbook. I can't learn from reading. I have to be taught by someone else, explained to in person, or explained to by an actual person. I can't read a textbook and understand something completely. I can get the gist of it, but, you know, interactive learning where you can ask questions and learn, I think that's really the best method of learning. I hate textbooks. You know, maybe you like textbooks. You're like, well, they're so fun. I love reading them. I read them before bed. I hate textbooks and I've never learned anything. I've learned stuff, but I've never learned anything easily from a textbook. That's just my opinion on that. Again, that was literally like a minute. I'm just, I'm getting a bit fidgety. But that is all I'm going to be talking about in today's episode. This was a collection of thoughts, part two. Thank you guys for listening and I'll see you next time.